Welcome to the Rookie Investor Podcast. This episode, we're going to be talking about the three steps to take so you can start building your own stock portfolio. Gareth, this one's going to be very action-based podcast. It's all about steps. You're going to have a to-do list. We love it. Get your uh, pen and pad ready. Get your brain switched on because there's a little bit of thinking in this one as well. I didn't sign up to that. (laughs) Far out. (laughs) I'm sorry, Phil. I should have brought that up before we did the podcast. It's going to need a little bit of brain power this one. Right. And start to think a little bit laterally. You know, uh, investing is all about looking and seeking for that opportunity. It's not about necessarily following what other people are doing, even though we're going to tell you what to do. You know, it's about sort of using your own knowledge in the area that you're in and figuring out where to go from there. So this is a great one. It's a great one for people that are actively ready to invest, I would say. I want to get a a feel. Um, Before we kick on, I will, of course, say we cover all of this and a lot, a lot more in, in the investing programs that we run. Um, yep. They're available on our website. You can get all the information on there. And we may talk slightly bit, a bit, bit at the end. I don't want to talk too much about them. But the point is what we're covering today is a 25-minute podcast version. So it's pretty light on. <laughs> but be aware that all of this information and a hell of a lot more is in a lot of our training, which is really, if you find this any way helpful, we'd strongly recommend you look at that. But anyway, kicking Three it off. Steps. Step number one. Step number one. Building a stock portfolio, you've got to decide whether you're going to be active or passive investor. What are they? What's active and passive investing? Active, um, you're doing it yourself. Okay. Um, you're picking stocks, you're doing the analysis. And um, passive is you're getting someone else to do it or you're getting you're following an index. And that that's a high level. There, there's also um, active versus passive like, it's passive for me if I get a fund manager to yes. invest, but the fund manager is actively doing it. I get you. So yep. there's there's that kind of thing, but I'm talking about you for the individual. Yep. Are okay. you going to sit down and commit the time to analyzing stocks and investing? Yeah. Or do you just want to invest in a managed fund or an index fund or sort of a combination between between two? Yeah. Okay. So you want to sit down and say, you know, well, I'm smashed at work at the moment. I don't have much time to dedicate putting it in an index fund. We might be, you know what? I think I think we can follow this. I, I can generate fifteen percent return every year. Yeah, it's better than what managed fund guys are going to do. I'm going to commit to to doing that. So making that decision uh, to start with. Sure. So time's a big factor in making that call. What's the benefits disbenefits of both? So if we look at active investing. Yeah. So active investing is actively getting involved, doing yep. it yourself. Yeah. I uh, assume through that there's a potential for greater growth because you got more control over buying and selling yeah. or at least, sorry, you're buying and selling more is what I should say. Not that you got more control over, but you're buying and selling more actively than with the passive investing strategy. Would that be right? Uh, yeah. So the passive is, is again, buying an index fund and just letting it slide. This one. Letting it do its thing. Yeah. You still might sit on a stock for two years, but it's that you've actively analyzed that and taking a I good few you. hours to, to pick it. I get you. It's not so much about changing stocks or changing positions okay. every week. Sorry. Yeah. I get you. It's about yeah. that, that sort of investment um, investment decision. Yeah. And so what's the benefits then of active versus passive or passive versus active? Yeah. So, so one of the benefits of active is you can save on fees. Because yep. you're not paying a manager uh, 2% every year just for the sake of having your money, even if it's at a loss. And then you're not paying bonuses and additional fees on top of that. 
so you're just paying that one-off fee through the trading account, which is usually a lot less. Yeah. Um, and you generally pay that anyway with the other guys. Um, you have a lot more control. Um, and sometimes you might know more about a particular stock or a particular industry than some of these managers because yeah, you're actually you yep. could be on the you know forefront. You could be customer facing, and that's where the best information is: the customer facing and the distribution channels. And by the time you find that information out, and that gets fed back to the um, to the company, and that gets fed back to the analysts, analysts, and that gets fed back to the fund managers, you're like three or four steps ahead yep. of those guys. So you can actually have better insight um, than some of the professionals. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of the, the downside, it, yep. it does take a commitment. Yeah. Um, I'm not talking about it. It's, it's not a second day job by any means. And I always tell people to find two, maybe three industries or sectors that uh, you're really interested in or passionate about. Uh, so for me, I like I like tech, uh, I like financials, uh, and I like consumer staples as well. And you know, if you ask me about manufacturing or communications, I have not a lot of knowledge. Yep. Um, I know probably a bit more than most because I have to teach it. Um, but I'd pick two or three, and you can. There's plenty of stocks in those industries. Um, so yeah, the, the commitment level is still there, uh, but I'm not talking about another another full time job. Okay. But in terms of the the passive, yeah, it's done for you. The the advantage is you're not having to keep an eye on the market. You're not reading the papers. You're outsourcing it, getting someone else to take on and bear that responsibility. Uh, the downside is that you generally pay for that luxury, um, even if it's a, a small. Uh, fee for for an index fund, it's yep. still more than what you'd pay yourself for, um, you know, for doing the investing. So they're the main sort of pros okay. and cons of, of each one. It's interesting. Uh, they're quite varied, and the opportunities are are different. Is there so? Is there a potential that one would deliver more? I, I just get a sense Active might deliver more growth I, I don't know uh, maybe not i just get i always get I just maybe it's a mental thing when i think of passive investing i think of you're just sort of leaving it there to do it i know that's it. not exactly yeah. what it is but yeah um is is does that true maybe not from what you're saying it's probably not it actually doesn't make a difference well, either way well, but... many fund managers don't really perform greatly um you know uh, the stats are there that 96 yeah. percent don't outperform um yeah. you get onto the four percent that do yeah, uh, but but I mean, yeah, I, I think there's an opportunity to, um, you know, not not talk about beating the market every year, but just to consistently generate uh, what we teach is a fifteen percent return each year. Yep. And and with the passive um, investing, you, you're just kind of putting it out. You know, you buy an index fund, you're buying both a winner and a loser at the same time. Yep. You're buying both Tesla and General Motors at the same time. Yep. So, you know, one's gone up, one's gone down. You've netted nothing because yeah, you've, you've, yeah, covered yeah, yeah, yeah. you've covered yourself yeah. whereas active might be backing tesla and shorting ford or something yeah. and yeah so that's that's the type of stuff so i think yeah if you're committed you can, you can get a really good good return yeah okay no that's that's it's interesting it's probably from where i am the i would have i would have originally said passive but actually the more i'm understanding about investing the more comfortable i am with active and i suppose that's the thing for a lot of people it is about a comfort level. When you start investing, there's a comfort in knowing someone else is managing that process to some degree, or yeah. at least someone who's expert knowledge in that. But actually, I think the more you're learning, and it's not to say that the financial experts aren't aren't very good at what to do. I'm sure they are. But like you said, I think you begin to actually realize you can sort of hone in on your own niche 
yeah. and you can focus in on that and actually you can end up knowing as much if not more than a lot of financial professionals about that niche and about what's happening in the marketplace um, in that particular niche so for me now gaining that sort of confidence i suppose i'd be more comfortable going with active and that's probably the only difference between the two for me is is that confidence yeah, level confidence of what level. i sort of feel like i can do so and that's purely just through education and understanding and, and, and just starting out put a thousand dollars in an index fund then your next thousand dollars back yourself and see how you go over that's, that's a nice strategy actually that's yeah a, that's a good, good way yeah. to do it actually um so Excellent. That's the sort of first step is understanding how you want to do it. So you've mapped that out. You know, yeah. you've got your uh, your pen and pad. You're writing all this down. You say, okay, here's the pluses and minuses. I think I'm going to go down this route. What's the next step? So the next step in doing that is you want to see what the economy is doing. Because yep. the economy is going to dictate the share market um, pretty much all the time. And there's there's a few key elements that you want to look out for. So the, the high high-level basic stuff I talk about is interest rates. Yep. So they have a chain of effect on the economy. At the moment, if interest rates are low. Yep. And, and if interest rates are low, it generally means that people have less money that they're paying on their mortgage. Yep. They're paying less um, back on their debts. And that means they have more money to spend, more money to spend on um, you know products that really suit growth kind of stocks, those tech stocks, because yep. you, know, you can go out and, buy, and spend $2,000 on a laptop, for example. So you might want to go and buy Apple shares because yep. you know people have more money to, to spend. The opposite is also true. If interest rates are higher, then all of a sudden, if interest rates are 6% and you can put your money out of the stock market and put it into your bank account and get 6% risk-free, yep. that's, that's not a bad proposition. So people are then starting to sell their shares, which we, we know selling makes a, the stock go down yep. if there's overselling. Uh, and then people, again, their, their uh, debt's just gone up, so they've got less money to spend on those discretionary items, yeah. um, and, and they're, they're paying off their debt. And, and unemployment's similar. You know, If you're going from a full-time job uh, down to three days a week, first thing that's going to be cut is your, your luxuries. Yeah. You know, you're going to be spending less on, on entertainment, on your tech, on your, um, you know, on those experience type of type of things, and that can give you some real good insight, um, you know, around the economy and what the stock market's going to be doing. Awesome. That's really excellent insight into that whole into that whole thought sort of process that needs to be put into play. I suppose the only things I'd add, Phil, you've pretty much covered everything, is um, have a look at who's spending money at the moment. You know, as we sort of make this podcast, we've got a situation in Australia where the government is putting a lot of money into, uh, in effect, propping up the economy to some degree. So there's a lot of spending going into health, aged care, disability services, infrastructure. So the question then is, well, if you can find where the money is, as they say, you know, always trace that money back. How's that being spent and, and how long is it going to be spent for and where is it being spent? There's going to be opportunity there because where there's money, there, there's growth. Companies are benefiting. People, pe you know, people are benefiting. Yeah. Groups yeah. are benefiting. Areas are benefiting. So have a look at that as well. So it's all about understanding the not so much the minutiae, but as Phil says, there's, there's there's a sort of a high level, but there's actually quite a bit to look at when it comes to the economy. So it's not just necessarily about saying, oh well, we know there's lots of money in the economy, therefore people must be spending. You know, that's not necessarily always going to play out. And um, what's more important is understanding: is it is it consumer spending that's driving growth? Is it government spending that's driving growth? You know, is it a mining boom that's driving growth? And yeah. all of these things have, particularly in Australia, have a very strong geographical context 
yeah. um, a socioeconomic context. Um, so there's there's very particular opportunities with each one of those areas. And, and all of those growth areas have happened over the last five, six years. So there's been opportunity in each one of them, which isn't necessarily the case now. You know, you had the mining super boom. That yeah. then sort of fell off. So people were sort of getting out of that. Um, you know, you had consumer growth being, being pretty good post-GFC. Uh, that's now seems to have waned in the last year. And we now got government spending sort of coming in naturally as it does to prop that up. So even just as we speak, you can understand there's a process you go through. You know, you, you sort of, you, you start at the beginning of your maze, your mad maze of adventure, and you work your way around and you, you figure out one to the other to the other. And then by the end of it, you'll actually have a really good picture of where the money is, how it's being spent, and how long it's going to be be spent for, I think, and that's really beneficial. And then what you you want to do with that is once you identify where the economy is at, you want to build a portfolio that reflects that. So yeah. the last thing you want to do is own high growth tech stocks when people are unemployed and the economy is going to shit, because they're the first thing that people cut in their spending. Yeah. Um, so you want to go for companies like McDonald's and Coca Cola because no matter what the economy is doing, you're still going to buy a Coke or, or go yeah. to Macca's and, and enjoy that on a Friday night. And then the opposite's true. You know, when the economy's booming, you don't want to be sitting there on Coca-Cola where it's growth is 5% a year and it's giving you, you know, a 4% dividend when you've got stocks like Netflix, for example, that are going up 8,500% in, in 10 years. Yeah. You want to get on those high growth stocks and, and take advantage of that. So, yeah, once you identify what the, the economy's doing, you want to try and mirror that with, with the stock portfolio. Yeah, no, that's good. That's actually really interesting. So do you think people should be sticking with the core of investment opportunities like Coca-Cola and then using this sort of uh, percentage of their investing money to invest in these kind of more cyclical stocks? And if so, what percentage should they be going for? It's a good question. We, we always teach um, to keep cash in, in your portfolio yep. to take advantage of, you know, the stock market decreases a lot yep. and there's, there's some good opportunities and um, the liquidity is always good. Uh, but again, coming back to, um, you know, I always go off like an 80-20 kind of principle. If, if it's a growth economy, the economy is doing good, you want 80% um, in those growth companies and 20% sort of in your, your safer companies because yep. uh, they still grow, in, in a still go up in a, an yeah. economy. Um, and then in a, in a bad economy, um, you know, you might want to flip that. You might want 80% defense, even 20% growth. Um, and, and 80%... Um, defensive doesn't mean that it, it's, it's going to make money. It, it means that it's probably going to lose less money than just being all in growth. Because you, you have a look at the tech companies, they, they can drop by 45% a year and it's not even a, that's not, that wouldn't be unusual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. for Coca-Cola to drop by 40%, oh, the, the be, world's in trouble. Yeah. Be. <laughs> they, they might drop by 10%. That, that's a good way to put it. And so, it, well, yeah, okay. And no, then they pay yeah. if they pay a six percent dividend or whatever it is, you're losing four percent. So yeah. And the reason I don't say a hundred percent either is because it's hard to predict exactly when the economy turns around. Yeah. So you want to take advantage of some of those um, those tech stocks in there. But again, have a look at things. If the government starts to uh, decrease interest rates, is that a signal to start switching up your portfolio? Yeah. Is that where you want to move out of Starbucks or Macca's and say, all right, people have got a bit more um, disposable income now. Um, maybe, maybe we have a look at IBM or have a look at uh, Disney or, or yep. something like that. Actually, you've just sort of made me think of a question there, which is what are the early triggers for an economy changing, for that shift happening? So you talk about the changes in the interest rates, but I, 
I'm sort of just generally I expect government to sort of be reactive as opposed to being proactive. And are interest rate changes not a reaction to the market? And is there anything else like unemployment figures was one you said. They're quarterly though, aren't they? They're released unemployment figures in general. Or are they can you get ones that are live, sort of up to date? I suppose there is a live. You get them up to date, and I mean, you want to listen to um, the central bank or reserve bank uh, governor. They they talk every month, okay, and they'll give you a brief on what the economy is doing, okay, and they'll give you an idea of where they're at and, and what the um, give you a good indication of what they're going to do in the future, okay. Uh, it is a lag. Um, it's, it's a bit of a response. So if people are spending a lot, and government um, or you know reserve bank want to decrease that. Um, they then put in the, the um, interest rate, um, you know, cut, so yep. people have more money to spend. Yep. Now, traditionally, that's that's a lag in economics. It's going to take yeah. a while for people to realise that, but the stock market doesn't lag. The stock market reacts to that information okay. almost immediately. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what happened in the US. Um, you know, they were increasing interest rates rapidly over the last 12 months, mm. and they weren't allowing the economy to actually respond. Stocks were responding. But actually, the economy itself wasn't responding because it, you can't you can't increase interest rates this month and expect an immediate turnaround in four weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still have to kind of absorb it and, and yeah, and yeah. all the the banks, the mechanisms have to be put in place for that that to be fed through yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lag in the economy, but the stock market's pretty um, pretty instant in terms of how that they react. Yep. Uh, but then. You've got the long-term reaction of it, so people where yeah. they actually are spending more money in that company, and yeah. So, so there's a kind of a, a first instant stock market reaction where I assume potentially is then a correction from that as well, and then there's the longer-term reaction based on the figures of companies that come out after yeah. this change has happened. Yeah. Okay, and then so in terms of that early, really the. Interest rate change is, is certainly one way, but it's probably a lot of it is about reading, it's about listening, it's about signing up, I suppose, to what economists are saying, what, what the central bank particularly is saying, yeah. and just getting that education up to a level where you can say, actually, okay, I've got a sense of what's happening with the market. Yeah. Because really, as an investor, obviously, if you can get in earlier, you've got a better opportunity to make more money or to make you know money quick or whatever it may be yeah. so suppose that yeah that that idea of and it always this always comes down to feel really it's about education and knowledge isn't it and yeah. that's what we're really talking about here is 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 that ability to be able to get all the information just keep up to date with what's happening in in the real world and so was the other kind of point to make on that and slash question was we're talking about the australian context but obviously these days, Australia is influenced by the US particularly, <laughs> but also by Asia and by different things happening yeah. in different countries. So, if, you know, if the Chinese government comes out and says they're going to be reducing house building by 20%, that's going to have an impact on, on Australian companies. So people, I suppose, would have to look internationally now in terms of understanding what's happening in the market. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, keep it simple. I, I only invest in Australia, a little bit in US mainly. Yeah. So I only need to know what's going on in two economies. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what's happening with the China-US trade deal in great detail. I'm only aware of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Trump knows what's going on in great detail. <laughs> but more to the point, I think, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. yeah, you just want to be aware. You don't have to know the policy or the no. proposal inside no. out. And just specialise in your market. Maybe maybe the German stock exchange is something that you know more about mm. um, than, than the US. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, invest in that and, and keep an eye Whatever on that, you know, that economics, the unemployment over there, the interest rates over there and... Very good. What's generally happening? No, excellent. Okay, so that's 
point one and two covered. We did say there was three. <laughs> the third point is the most important, I think. Yeah. Commit and do your homework. Yeah, so once you've gone through and, and you've purchased a stock based on what, what the economy's doing, let's say things are going to shit and, and you've bought Coca-Cola, you say, and, and every time you buy a stock, I want you to write down why you bought it. So that allows you to track without bias um, your thinking. So write down, bought Coca-Cola, um, you know, unemployment rate increased to 9%. It's been the highest in 25 years. Uh, interest rates are high. So people don't have jobs and they're expected to pay more. So there's less in the economy. So I went for something safe. Um, and then you want to check in on that. Um, some, a thing that I get my students to do is set up just Google Adlerts, Adlerts, Adverts. <laughs> you can do Google Adverts, but it's probably not going to help you in this yeah, situation. It probably won't work at all. Google Alerts is probably the way to go. All right. You can do <laughs> Google Alerts if you want to. Um, but yeah, you set up Google Alerts for the businesses that you've bought in, and that gives you, yeah. I think you can choose whether it's daily or, or weekly. You can, yeah. And it's yeah, just yeah. top news articles for, for that company. Really good tip, yeah. And so you, you can just check it monthly. You can say, okay, I bought Coca-Cola because the economy was a bit rubbish. Is the economy still rubbish? Yes or no? Yes, cool, let's keep this. And then you keep going until you're like, oh, wait on, the economy's starting to turn a little bit. Mm. These assumptions when I bought that stock are no longer true. Do I want to hold? Do I want to sell? Do I want to buy more? Yeah. Um, yeah, you want to make sure those assumptions are still true from when you first bought it. And when they start changing, then, it, then it's time to maybe mix it up a bit. Excellent. Really good tip that because it also means you can build a bit of a knowledge base of what happens when certain things go on. So, for example, you can see actually, yeah, I put my money in Coca-Cola when I thought the economy was in this position, but actually that wasn't as successful as when I investing in this other company in this position, you sort of build a bit of a knowledge base of, yeah. of how companies react, and particularly bigger companies react to... And just go back and have a look. Events. See yeah. what Coca-Cola was doing in the GFC. See what they were doing in the yeah. mining boom. Yeah. Compare it to BHP or, uh, you know, what was Coca-Cola in America doing in the um, the tech bubble? Yeah. And just see how it reacts to different... That's good. Um, ...different things, and you'll get an idea. Because the other thing as well is these companies are paying people a lot of people to understand the market and, and where they can maintain and, and grow. So, oh, sure, yeah. you know, piggyback off the knowledge of these companies. If they're making decisions at a time when there's things happening, things being shaken up a bit in the world, great. Have a, well, why did they make those decisions? Were they success? Were they a failure? Well, if it's a success, you know, they've clearly put a lot of work into getting there. So it's worth you. You don't need to put that work in. You can actually sort of piggyback off that big company. And really, if one big company is doing it in that sector, so let's say Coca-Cola, you might find young brands who do who run Burger King and Taco Bell and other places, they might be doing the same thing in that yeah. particular food sector. So that's a really, a really good way to understand uh, and begin to then build your own knowledge about how companies react, particularly those bigger companies. Because you tend to find if they do it once, they're going to do it again. I mean, that's the human nature. Really. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, no, very, very good tips. Um, look, I think that's covered everything. Yeah, Phil, is there any other tips? tips? I think that's everything Everything we can cover on this. Yeah, yep, that, that's, that's what it takes. Once you've gone through and committed to those stocks, just do the homework. Do the homework, And then, yep. um, then go through the process again. You're like, okay, something's changed. Um, you know, am I going to be active versus passive? Yep. What's the economy doing? Cool. And then repeat that process. That's awesome. So stock investing doesn't have to be 
a magical gaze into the uh, crystal ball, you know, that's not, actually not what it is. There is a process, amazingly, for a lot of people who might just think it is a bit of a potluck. There's a process um, and there's a system. And as you build that system, like with most systems, it, it, it self-improves. So it gets more efficient. It gets more effective. So really, the first thing is just getting that, that pen and pad out and just start writing down, figuring out what's going on. Um, take notes, take copious notes, and always check back, as Phil said, on your notes. Always refer back so you sort of get a feel for a timeline. Um, and then just get cracking with it, really. So hopefully that's of benefit. Don't forget, comment, um, send us reviews, send us messages on Facebook, on Instagram, um, on our homepage, on our website, Cheeky Investor. We're always there to listen. We've got really good engagement from lots of the, the the podcasts we've been doing, and we love it. So people coming up with really interesting questions, tough questions. Um, you know, people coming up with great comments about where they are, and obviously all very complimentary for our podcast. Now, um, <laughs> yeah, no, look, get in touch when you need to. Um, and yeah, we're also going to put a, a link in for our weekly newsletter, Renegade Wealth. Yeah, so Renegade Wealth is is a insight newsletter um you know that i talk about sort of stuff that, that's a bit different in the market uh, so so it's a good blend between uh my mantra of living life and building wealth so, so i was going to talk about you know one of, one of the ones i sent out was warren buffett's six billion dollar investment um we had a look at a look at a stock that he invested in um, and gave you the details on that another one i did was um you know about how you build wealth and travel the world yeah um, that was so, a good one. so yep. real really blending those two together so mm. that's that's stuff I don't kind of release in blogs or anything. No. It's just my personal thoughts on the run for yep. the week. Um, and yeah, it's really sort of personal um, It's great. It's succinct. It's detailed. It covers a particular topic. It's really, really good advice, really good strategy. So well worth getting on that list. We'll put a link in the description just to sign up to the newsletter. We don't send spam out. It's only really quality stuff. It's a newsletter that's once a week. So if you've got any interest in investing, you need to be on that list. You really need to be getting that information because it's it's invaluable, I would say. So yeah, thank you so much for listening as always. Uh, and don't forget, we'll be uh, releasing more and more podcasts. So always just keep a check out, subscribe to our channel, um, post any reviews, any comments, and we're always there to, to, to help out. So thanks so much again, and uh, we'll see you next time.